As you've probably heard by now, we've teamed up with BetMGM this season. We'll be using BetMGM lines to make all of our picks, and we'll have special offers for our listeners each week. If you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC, and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic, plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager with BetMGM. Here's how it works. Download the BetMGM app and sign up using bonus code THEATHLETIC. Make your first deposit of at least $10, place your first bet on any game, and claim your voucher for a one-year subscription to The Athletic. See BetMGM.com for terms. U.S. promotional offers not available in D.C., Mississippi, New York, Nevada, Ontario, or Puerto Rico. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Available in the U.S. Call 877-8-HOPE-NY or text HOPE-NY 467-369 in New York. Call 1-800-NEXT-STEP in Arizona. 1-800-327-5050 in Massachusetts. 1-800-BETS-OFF in Iowa. 1-800-270-7117 for confidential help in Michigan. 1-800-981-0023 in Puerto Rico. First bet offer for new customers only in partnership with Kansas Crossing Casino and Hotel. Don't forget, if you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic, plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager. Welcome to Spin Rate, presented by Tops. Check out Topps Project 70, celebrating 70 years of Topps baseball cards. What's up? This is Spin Rate, the Athletics Toronto Blue Jays podcast. My name is Drew Fairservice, and yes, we are here to talk about your season-saved Toronto Blue Jays. We've been waiting. Caitlin has even has a hashtag for this section of the season, 19 left against the Orioles, except at this time of recording, there's only 16 left against the Orioles, as the Blue Jays were able to staunch the bleeding by taking somewhat fortuitously (laughs) two of three from the Baltimore Orioles in Baltimore. And as I mentioned, she has a hashtag. She covers the Toronto Blue Jays for The Athletic. You read her um, every day. She's co-host to Spin Rate. Caitlin McGrath. Caitlin, how are you? I'm great. I'm great. We're one day late, but all good. We had to celebrate Father's Day. We had Father's Day on Sunday, which was as good an excuse as any to push this back here onto the off day Monday when we were recording. But I'm excited. It's an exci- It was could have been worse. Things were pretty uh, low mm-hmm. a few days ago. But the Blue Jays that's the that's the baseball season. It's ups and downs. It's peaks and valleys. But if you want to climb the highest peak of content. And see for miles, and I think you should go to theathletic.com slash spin rate and subscribe to The Athletic. You can read everything that Caitlin writes about the Toronto Blue Jays, all the trade-mongering rosturbation that she's going to be doing over the next uh, six weeks. You can read everything that folks are going to write about the draft. You can read everything that Eno and Britt and everyone write about the sticky balls. You can read about the Mets, for if you're a masochist, I guess. No, the Mets are pretty good. You can read about Jacob deGrom. Never a bad idea. You can read about Shohei Otani um, when somebody is officially on that beat. But there's more to read than you could ever consume in one lifetime. Mm-hmm. So go to the, go to theathletic.com slash spinwrite. Let them know that we sent you. And get hooked up as the Blue Jays season is coming to a head. And if you want to make sure you don't miss a beat and don't miss a moment of this show. You're going to need to subscribe to it. Subscribe to Spin Rate. Whether you subscribe to The Athletic or not, of course, we think you should, but you can subscribe to the show. You can hear the ads. You can hear the wonderful born pitch man that I am reading ads to you. If you get, if you subscribe through Spotify or Apple Podcasts or wherever, if you want to add free, you can go through the, through the athletic ecosystem and get it ad free there. But Subscribe to the show, subscribe to The Athletic, then you'll be up to speed so that when we come to talk about the Blue Jays, you know exactly what you need to know. So, Caitlin, what is it that you think the Blue Jays fans need to know after this weekend series against the Orioles, which at different points during which the sky appeared to be falling at various speeds? Yeah, is there something about... Something about the way they were losing, I think, had people really on edge because I think like in some ways it would have been easier if they were just almost just playing sloppy baseball and they 
didn't deserve to win and they were losing six nothing and they were getting blown out and or something and maybe then it would just seem like a real bad stretch um but the way that they were playing for the most part was fairly good there was a couple games where they didn't look great like game against the Yankees the first couple innings where they had that atrocious triple play which was uh only the Yankees second triple play of the year which now they've had three so Maybe that's just what this Yankees team is good at, not hitting just... Yankees devil magic. Yankees devil magic now is um, is triple plays. Yeah. Which, you know, you understand how that can work sometimes. Um, but yeah, back to the point is that I think just like the bullpen losses and the way they were so repetitive was just like really draining on people. And like, I totally felt for fans, like it was a really frustrating time because it was like those types of wins, they just feel like they're so close. You can almost touch them. Um, and you know, we saw Charlie get really frustrated. Um, I will say for the most part, um, in talking to the media, the players didn't appear frustrated, but of course they come to the media a little bit after the game ends, but we saw pictures of Vladdy on the bench on the, in the dugout looking really upset at these losses. And of course, like it did look like, um, you know, the Blue Jays weren't having the best time. Um, they were trying to remain positive and Charlie was saying everything right. And, and Robbie Ray came out also after his start and said, we're not panicking. It's fine. There's a lot of baseball left. And of course that's true, but every, loss that feels like it should have been a win starts to add up a little bit. Right. And I for think sure. it's, it, and it's harder for fans. I'll just say this. It's harder for, it's harder for fans to, I think, relate to how long the baseball season is as opposed to a player, like a, a player, a guy like Ross Stripling, a guy like Ray, Robbie Ray, um, Marcus Semien, all those guys, like they know they can feel like they can physically feel how long a season is. And they do know that this stuff happens even to really good teams. So it is easier for them to really shrug it off, not in like a dismissive way, but just in a, like, this is the reality of playing a baseball season. Sometimes you get into a rut. There, I have two, I'm of two minds of, of, of what you've just said. Number one, which was, I think you're right that the Blue Jays weren't outwardly playing badly. Of course there was the play um, where Vladimir Guerrero Jr. got thrown out at the plate. He kind of got a little uh, aggressive off of third base uh, on a kind of chopper up the middle. And I can't remember. I didn't mean Lucas. Was it Lucas Let, uh, Letke that, that grabbed it? Anyway, that Vlad got caught in a rundown and and just looked, um, you know, just made a mental error. And then the Blue Jays bullpen sort of let the game get. That was a one-run game at that point, kind of uh, skittered away after that. But the other, so, so, my point, something I tweeted, maybe would have been Friday night when the Blue Jays lost 7-1 to Baltimore, was like, it wasn't that they're playing badly. It's at this point, they kind of had too many bad players, right? The Blue Jays sort of run, ran out of options to keep the game close, and they gave up five in like the eighth inning. And it was a 2-1 from being a 2-1 game where the Blue Jays couldn't muster any offense to being like 7-1, which was the final on Friday night. But the Blue Jays definitely looked like they were kind of out of options. They didn't, you know, the lineup was kind of full of holes at that point. And, and you're at giving at bats to, you know, young guys, guys who have not quite hit their stride in the big leagues, guys who are maybe overmatched in the big leagues. And it just, it just looked like if, if, if the top three and four hitters in the lineup don't provide all the offense, there is no offense to come by. But then I think you think to your, your point exactly. And, and the, the, the microcosm of playing the Orioles, for example. So Friday night's game against Baltimore, the Blue Jays, uh, couldn't get anything off of, I think his name is Thomas Eshelman or Eshelman. And he pitched pretty well, but he only pitched into the fifth inning. He didn't even finish five. So then the Orioles kind of ran through the top four guys in their bullpen. They, they Which, used. Who aren't bad. I, I was looking at the numbers. The Orioles actually have a handful of decent relievers. Who will probably sure. no, who, who who won't be with the team after July thirtieth, but uh, very likely Paul Fry, Tyler yeah. Wells, Tanner Scott, Hunter Harvey. Those are the yeah, four guys yeah. they used all on Friday night, and they all pitched well. Um, but then the, the thing about a baseball game is there's another game the next day. So the Orioles, of course, then famously, like a very bad team would, blew the next game when again the Blue Jays scored one in the seventh, one in the eighth, and then sixth in the ninth inning to tear in another 7-1 uh, deficit 
into a or seven two deficit, excuse me, into a ten seven win. Wasn't it seven four? Mm-hmm. It was seven two. They won ten seven. Oh so, yes, sorry, sorry. So, but because then the Orioles had to try to use the same group of relievers, but they had to use them the next day, so they weren't quite as effective. Paul Fry started walking people. You know, give give up a few hits. Tyler Wells came in, gave up a bunch of hits. Couldn't get anybody out. Hunter Harvey wasn't nearly as effective. A shout out to Hunter Harvey's uh, dad, Brian Harvey, killer mustache back in the day. He has killer some mustache. great hair too. Hmm. Hunter Harvey has some great hair. He does. He does. It's a family vibe. But that's but that's what happens in the baseball season. So not only do you have to do it one day, you got to do it the, the day after, and then you got to do it again the day after that. So then come Sunday's game, the Orioles bullpen was effectively empty because. And I know I've made this point before that there's an old saying, and I actually read in this really funny but interesting book about if you want to like knock a barn down, say you've got a barn out in the middle of the of the field, and you want the barn to fall down. Sure, you, the easy thing to do would be coming like with a bulldozer or whatever and knock it down with like force and lots of effort and gas and whatever. Or what you can do is put cut like an 18 inch hole in the roof because that you know. How many, how many centimeters is 18 inches? Like 45 centimeter wide hole will not, well, it won't go as fast, but that will knock that barn down every single time. The, the heat and the thaw and the moisture and all that stuff will destroy it. And just like having a bad bullpen is how you knock down that your, your baseball team. That it is, it is something that you cannot all, you cannot fight against. And the Orioles are a terrible team. And they have a terrible bullpen, even though they do have effective pitchers, because those four guys can't a pitch every night, and they can't pitch well every night, which is not unlike the Blue Jays. The Blue Jays have a lot <laughs> this stronger. This is turning into a point about the Blue Jays. You're eventually, <laughs> eventually, but it's like the Blue, the Blue Jays barn is a lot more fortified because they have such a strong core of position players, and they've got a decent and and. Um, and underrated perhaps core of starting pitchers, but they still do have an 18 inch hole in the ceiling in the roof of their, of the Blue Jays barn, which hopefully will be addressed. But at the end of the day, it didn't look exactly as we thought it was going to look, but the Blue Jays took two of three from the Orioles. Right. And while that is a lot to ask for them to do that six, you know, 16 more times to win, how many games is that? 11 of the remaining 16 games. Let's say 12, 12, 12 is like three out of four. Mm-hmm. Uh, that's a lot to ask. That's a lot, to, a lot of games won against one team, no matter how bad they are. But these are the, these are the games that you, Caitlin, highlighted, circled in your calendar and be like, these are the ones I got to win. <laughs> and uh, at, at the end of the day, they kind of did it. Even though it didn't look as pretty as you'd like, they still got those wins. Right. And let's just mention on Saturday why I think the win felt satisfactory very satisfying for fans for the team why Marcus Semyon came out and said it was a big win for them even though we're still talking about mid-June here is that well part of it was the obviously the comeback with two outs two strikes to Bo Bichette and they score I believe they scored like five of the six runs after having two outs right um and Another thing was that they just got a little bit of luck. Like, yeah, to your point, the bullpen, the Orioles bullpen wasn't very good, but that bloop single from Bichette after he fouled off like seven straight pitches, um, and it fell in the exact spot where it's no man's land, right? And I think I <laughs> the think exact for- spot being Anthony Santander's <laughs> glove. Like it hit him right in the glove. <laughs> and then he dropped it. Yeah. And um so I feel like that was just kind of like a huge sigh of relief, I think, for people because there's been – has the bull, the Blue Jays bullpen been bad? Yes, of course. But they've also been like pretty unlucky in some of those losses. Like I, I could think of examples, but the one that sticks out is that game in um, Boston where they were just hitting the ball so hard and they lost that game. And so – and there's probably been some other examples, but it was just an example of – luck going on the Blue Jays side. And sometimes a team needs that. Like sometimes a team needs a little bit of luck to just fall their way and it could kind of spark them. And so will the Blue Jays go into Miami and sweep them and then go back or go back to Buffalo and host Baltimore and go on a streak? Maybe like it's possible. Um, They could also split it with Miami. Anything could happen, but um, you'd like to think that that kind of win was some, a, a win that could 
sort of propel them forward and they could kind of ride that momentum, especially if we're talking about, which we'll get into later, especially if we're talking about a guy named George Springer coming back into the lineup, like, you know, paired with two big wins, you get a spark in your lineup, all that kind of stuff. Maybe, maybe it's an opportune time for the Blue Jays to go on a bit of a run because I, one thing they haven't done this year, if you've noticed this, um, they haven't really gone on like a run. Like, I don't know what their longest win streak is. Is it five games? Is it four games? I'm not sure. I'd have to look it up, but it's certainly not longer than five. I don't think. No. And I think that that alludes to them being slightly, uh, somewhat inconsistent, um, overall team performance that, you know, the kind of point that I made when, when pushed about it, when I made some comment about the team having too many bad players was like, they're like, well, yeah, but their Pythagorean record, for example, is still good. Like they've, mm-hmm. out, they've outscored their opponents by a lot. It's like, but their flaw is their, their bad players are concentrated in one area of the roster so that the effects of those bad players are felt in a more exponential fashion than just like, oh, they've got a guy who can hit, even though they've got a couple of those in there right now. And yeah, it's all because of injuries, but the fact of the matter is they still need to play all 162 games and they got to win them. And two victories against the Orioles out of three one being a significant, like, you know, big comeback. As you said, all those runs came in with two outs, a bit of a, a good, a little bit of luck. But I, to bring back my previous analogy I was making, the Blue Jays barn still does have an 18 inch hole in the roof. And that winning two games against the Orioles should not distract from the fact that that needs to be repaired, patched, whatever. You can't just ignore, like, a, tell yourself it's a sunroof, or B, make it try to make it seem like it's some kind of like architectural design feature when really it's a hole in the team that needs to be addressed. And bringing George Springer back will continue to fortify the club and make it that much easier for them to score that many more runs, which makes it less likely that your bullpen is going to be asked to save the day. But the you know, and and just as adding another starting pitcher, if it was, you know, or or adding another uh, 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 consistent everyday high level third baseman, whatever it might be, all those additions help. But the 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 hole in the roof needs to be addressed, and and the it the, if, even if that hole in the roof isn't going to uh, permit them from beating worse teams, but that lack of depth, that exposure, is something that cannot continue. I don't think. I think that that they could still go on a put string together a great winning streak. That would be hilarious. It would be great. You know, the the parallels to 2015 would be strong. Which again, I think I think almost to that point, the one of the differences people were trying to draw the parallels between the 2015 mm-hmm. and 2021 Blue Jays. 2015 Blue Jays did go on a long winning streak before they made all the trades. Remember, yes. they were they were in rough shape. And then they went on, a, and at one point they went on a long winning streak and they were still kind of treading water before, you know, kind of kicking things into high gear with a series of additions at the trade deadline. And that's, and I, I, if I've said this before and like good teams go on long winning streaks like that. Like that's just not something that bad teams do. Good teams go on long winning streaks. Good teams are, are able to put that all together. So. That I think is a, is a, is one perhaps like a marker, something that you may say to yourself. You know, we know our team is good because they've scored more than they've, than they've allowed because of this and that, but also because they did go on, uh, where is it? That is a long winning streak in June. So in 2015, the Blue Jays won, how many games in a row was that? That's 11. I'm, I'm, I'm almost positive it's 11. I think it's 11 because the franchise has had several 11 game winning streaks and they've, Never got past 11. But they had two 11-game winning streaks in that season. They had one before the, the All-Star break or one before the trade deadline and then one after. But so, even in franchise history, they've had a few like 11-game mm-hmm. win streaks. But too. never 12. No, you're right. Yeah. But yeah, so like that to me was like a that if I'm if you're trying to put yourself back into the headspace of an Alex Anthopoulos where you can say, this team is right there. Because again, bad teams don't win 11 games in a row. Good teams do. Yeah. We're a good team. I don't know that you can make that same claim about the 2021 Blue Jays as currently constructed. That doesn't I, mean they shouldn't try to improve, but yeah. they're not as good as that team, the 2015 team was, before they added Tulowitzki, David Price, Mark Lowe, whoever else. I think that's fair, though. Like, I don't, I mean, there's reasons why 
that those two teams are good to compare. And I think the primary one is just because of how good the offense is and, and can be. The 2015 team was obviously an outsta- outstanding offense before the trade deadline. After the trade deadline, they were even better. Um, Josh Donaldson was having an MVP-like season. Now Vlad Girl Jr. is having an MVP. Well, Josh Donaldson had an MVP season. He won it, but you know, and and Vlad Guerrero Jr. is having an MVP-like season. And so you look at those and there's like parallels. And then um, that's why people kind of go to. But why this team is also really different is that the 2015 team was like an aging roster team where your only option was to push all the chips in. And there was other mm. things going on at that point, obviously, like Alex Anthopoulos um, knew about the changes in the organization. Mark Shapiro came in. Alex Anthopoulos probably knew he this was his last go with the team. So he decided to go for it. With Whereas this Blue Jays team, this is literally like their first year of contention, I would say. Like this is not, like they don't need to go all in right now. They need to fix their bullpen problems they need to give the young players on this team like a reason to keep competing not that I think they would throw in the towel because this team is they've got a lot of competitive guys but the front office needs to back them up here and say no we believe in you we're going to get you some help because we want your team to we want this team to go to the playoffs so we want to be in the hunt down the stretch so they do need to fix the holes but it's a different scenario in that like this isn't a one shot chance for this team to win like they're gonna keep getting better like Vlad Guerrero Jr. is gonna keep getting better or I don't know if he can get much better than this year but he's gonna stay the same I mean uh Bichette's gonna get better like there's other George Springer is gonna play a full season like there's gonna be got Nate Pearson's gonna be on this team um Alec Manoa is gonna get better like this is the start for this team so like yes they need to make some trades they need to fill some holes but um I don't think that this is like an all in type team. And that's okay. Like that. They don't need to be a world series contender tomorrow. We'll be right back with more spin rate, but first check this out. Looking for an assist with your credit card, but can't get a hold of anyone. Luckily with 24 seven us based live customer service from discover. Everyone has the option to talk to a real person anytime, day or night. Yep. You heard that right. You can talk to a real human and customer service at any time. Sounds like a real game changer if you ask us. Make the right call and get the service you deserve with Discover. Limitations apply. See terms at discover.com slash credit card. And now, two pigeons bemoaning the fact you can stream DirecTV satellite-free. DirecTV gives you access to apps like Netflix and live sports right next to each other. I don't get it. Let me put it in pigeon terms. It's like that one amazing dumpster with the old fruit and cardboard all in one place. How am I supposed to keep up with illustrative metaphors when you are making me so hungry? Get live TV and streaming apps together without a satellite. Visit directtv.com. Requires high-speed internet-connected Gemini device and separate paid subscription to watch Netflix on DirecTV. Terms and restrictions apply. Okay, I guess my question is, I don't know that they're going to necessarily get better. Again, I think about, um, it was actually 2015, uh, Bryce Harper. Bryce Harper had like a had like a 190 weighted runs graded plus. Like he had a crazy season similar to the one that Vlad is having now. And he never got close to it again. Do I think that's what is going to happen with Vlad? No, I don't. I don't think that there's any amount of fluke. I think that there's so much about it. The only thing that's going to hold Vlad back in the future is if he's, if his body betrays him um, by injury or by, you know, if he's just not able to, to be at the kind of level of performance physically that he needs to, to do what he's doing now. And, and, and in terms of being a better fielder, a faster, better runner, and obviously like the best hitter in the game right now. But like, is Bo Bichette going to get better? I think that's asking a lot. I'm not saying so. I'm, I'm saying that 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 we you can uh, you can continue to kick the can down the road, or you could point to like a non like a generic better scenario down the road. But I don't think that there's any time like the present. I don't think there's any reason to not maybe not go all in and not trade everything that you, that's not nailed down. Um, to not to maybe you know not just lose a trade, but like considerably overpay for someone that's that's underwhelming. Um, and, and that isn't going to put the roster over the top. But I think there should always be a sense of urgency 
because you don't know what you're going to get. You don't know. Like next year, Hyunjin Ryu is going to be another another year older. Next year, Robbie Ray is going to be presumably playing in another on another team. Next year, presumably Marcus Simeon is going to be playing on another team. Like this, this the the team as it's built right now won't necessarily be in this situation next year. The Blue Jays are going to have a lot of holes to fill, and there are a lot of ifs. And and you know we talked about upgrades. So there was a, a, a comment that was made um, by I think his name is Ben Clemens on Fangraphs. He's the prospect guy who made a somebody uh, was a Twins person talking about could the you know what's a trade for Jose Barrios and so and somebody said something and then Ben Clemens the prospect guy said I think that Nate Pearson for 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 Barrios is is um, more about right and I was like yeah any day any day of the week I'll do that every single time. And I got a lot of flack for it. But I think because people get hung up on the number. They're like, well, Nate Pearson is the, this number of prospect. But it's like, uh, is there a riskier profile than Nate Pearson's in, uh, if, for, for a pitcher? A guy who's hurt a lot. Injuries are fluky, not necessarily arm injuries. He's still hurt. Not on the field. A guy who's had real big trouble throwing strikes, real big trouble getting people out. That's a, re- a really, really risky profile to say, well, he's going to be good next year. I, d- I don't know. So if someone says, you can make the Blue Jays better in not only 2021 but and 2022 with, with a player as an example, Jose Barrios, and I apologize if I'm mispronouncing his name. Like, that's a trade I make. Those are the kinds of trades that I'm willing to make if I'm the front office of the Blue Jays because there is no guarantee that they're going to be better next year. They still have holes to fill, but they're going to be, the older players are going to be older. And some of the players, the, the, the good players, Bo Bichette is having a really good year. But as we've seen, talk about risk. There's a lot of risk in Bo Bichette's profile. So maybe now's the time rather than not now. I'm just running my mouth a little bit here. I mean, yeah, like if you could go all in and, and go for it, I guess, but I, I'm just making the point that like I don't think the Blue Jays organization is in a point where they the, the sort of window is closing in on them. Like I view it as just opening. So yeah, like you could go all in this year, but I don't know that the situation will be much different next year. Like, I don't know. I guess I'm more optimistic about things um, staying as they are or maybe getting better. There's other players behind Bo Bichette. So yeah, maybe Bo Bichette's not going to get better. Maybe he's going to move off shortstop, but they have, you know, Austin Martin and they have Jordan Groshans and these are guys that they're grooming and they have, you know, the best catcher in double A right now who's like, you know, hitting everything that comes at him like you know this is an organization that's in a good space so I think my point is just that like back to the 2015 scenario it's just like it's that team didn't have a or I don't even remember but I don't think that team had a highly stocked farm system and whatever they did had they've traded away and you could just tell on the roster was an older roster was like this Blue Jays is kind of the inverse of that is like yeah they have some older players but most of their core that they're building around. And so, yeah, like you could go all in. Um, but I just don't know. So what I'll say as I interrupt you as is that, that you're right. And that's the way the front office thinks. And it's pragmatic and it's realistic for you to, in your job and in this conversation, to put yourself in their headspace, which, with which you've become quite familiar over the time, years of doing the job. What I'm saying is the idea of a window and the window opening and the window closing is a cop-out that the front offices use to put the emphasis on cost control first and then second and then third because they're always selling what might happen down the road when what they're presented with right now is a very good roster with a, with quite a few different um, independent variables that are trending extremely in the right way for them to make an aggressive move to to make the team try to win now because like what what like like what what do we what do you want them to do like what do you think do you need do they need max scherzer do they need a reliever like because i think that there's no limit on the things they can do and the other side of that is to your your the point that you made is like they've got lots of prospect capital coming in behind which is 
the thing you use to acquire big league players to make the team win. Because we can say, well, they got these guys coming behind and maybe they'll be even, be even better. But again, I think that's the front office spin. And this is the thing that, that you can't argue with what, with the kind of uh, uh, organizational strength that, that Mark Shapiro and Ross Atkins had built. But this has always been the knock on Shapiro that it's always the thing that's three years away. It's always just over the next hill. Well, we could blow our brains out and, and, and overpay for somebody, but then God only knows what we would have coming in behind as opposed to just being like, let's just try to win. Let's do right by these young players. The baseball is a young man's game. There's no reason to believe that like if this is Vladimir Guerrero Jr.'s career year, that's okay. Guys have career years. It's not, he's not going to have a 195 weighted, weighted runs created plus. He's not going to have an 1100 OPS every year. That's crazy to believe. Bobichet swings at fucking everything. There's no reason to believe necessarily that he's going to be able to continue to perform and then somehow get better. He could get better, but he could also get worse. Right? Again, if, 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 if everything is about risk, think about what is the risk of squandering this opportunity when Marcus Simeon has priced himself out of your, out of your ball club, when Robbie Ray has priced himself out of your ball club, when Hyunjin Ryu, who gets by on razor thin margins as it is, is suddenly a year older, throwing a little bit slower. Whatever else is going to happen? What if Nate Pearson never becomes Nate Pearson? What if Nate Pearson doesn't do any of the things he's going to do because he's such a high risk? I'm saying that if there are opportunities, short of blowing your brains out, Max Scherzer is not going anywhere, if you ask me, that no one's going to trade for Max Scherzer because Max Scherzer is not going to want to go. But if there is an opportunity to make your team better with one move or with two moves to spend some of that prospect capital, sure, sure you pick a few guys. They obviously love Austin Martin and, and that's probably well, that's probably well within their right. Uh, but yeah, like we can say, Oh yeah, Gabby Moreno is, is killing in double A. That's great. Riley Adams had a, a LPS over a thousand in triple A. He's young. He's talented. He's got two hits and struck out in like 50% of his plate appearances in the big leagues because the big leagues are hard. It's hard to hit. And just because he's doing a double, it doesn't mean that it's ever going to happen. And it doesn't mean it's ever going to line up with Vladimir Guerrero Jr.'s career year. What is essentially becoming Marcus Simeon's career year? What is the best version of Robbie Ray that anyone's ever seen? <laughs> These things are happening right now. Fucking win a game. They've all they got, not all they got to do, but they can fix the bullpen. They can promote from within and they can make the team a lot better with a little bit of aggression, a little bit of, of, of acceptance of risk and the willingness to maybe lose a trade. The willingness to maybe be like, wow, it would be great if we had that guy in our mix, but you know what? We gave it a, we gave it a good go and we lost to the Astros and the ALCS or whatever it might have been. But you know, there's no time like the present in my mind. Trade your prospects, all of them, except for the I one guy that. You don't want to trade. I don't think we're, I don't think we're arguing. I think we're arguing the same point. You're just saying it more um, emphatically than I am. Like, I think I'm just saying that they can make this team better mm -hmm. this year. Rental relievers don't cost very much. If you look at what the Blue Jays got for trading Daniel Hudson to the Nationals, who then went on to basically help the Nationals win the World Series and threw the last out, like it was like a double A um, starter who I don't even think was um, like it was like a top like thirty of thirty prospects. Like it wasn't a top prospect. Like getting rental relievers don't you're not going to have to trade Austin Martin to get a reliever. Like you, mm -hmm. you know who you can trade someone who's having a good year, like uh Samad Taylor or um, Kevin Smith. Mm -hmm. If you want to trade those guys, like it won't cost a lot. I think my point is just saying like, they should make this team better this year, get some relievers, maybe get a starter. I don't know that um, starter is going to happen just because the market's kind of bad, but we'll see. Very. But you know, trade for a, a lefty bat, but I'm just making the point that if they don't if they don't win it all this year, like with the 2015 team, when they didn't win it all in 2015, it kind of felt like that was their opportunity. I never thought the 2016 team was as good, and it wasn't. I mean, it got to the same point, more or less, but it just wasn't as strong of a roster. And I'm just saying that I guess I think the Blue Jays are a team in a good spot for a few years but I hear your point of that, like, you can never guarantee that. Like, I get it. Like, Vlad could injure himself in the first game of 2022, and that season could 
kind of wilt away and then you're in 2023 and they still haven't won yet. And then, you know, this prospect didn't work out and then that season's gone. And then suddenly you're in 2024 and you're thinking, well, do we got to trade Boba Shed at this point or do we have to trade Bezier? So I like, I hear your point at that, like kicking it down the road is a dangerous proposition because you can't predict the future. So I feel like we're kind of on the same page. We're I don't just think like, we're arguing. Yeah. We're just say it in different ways. I think I'm just more like, I think I just am more like optimistic for you. And I'm like, if it doesn't work out this year, it could work out next year. Whereas you're like, if it doesn't work out this year, maybe the it will go to shit next year too. I, I'm not saying it's going to go to shit. But what I am saying is that there's, there, it's easy when you're looking for them to find reasons not to do the more aggressive thing to do the thing that might invite more risk that might invite more present day cost or might, might cost you, um, uh, long-term value or whatever it is in terms of control, in terms of you give up a player that you really liked and you really would love to see in your lineup in the future. But in the end, it ends up that that guy is a, is a strong contributor for the Texas Rangers because they've, they held out on player X in exchange for Joey Gallo and Ian Kennedy, whatever mm-hmm. it might be. Yeah. But, but, but I'm I saying, think, oh, I'm, ahead, my sorry. only thing is, sorry, I'll, I'll just, what, real quick is that it's easy to find reasons not to do things. I think that there are lots of reasons right in front of us why you should do things. And I'm not saying blow your brains out and, and, tr- yeah. and empty the farm and try to bring everybody in and, and this is the last gasp, but it's easy to find reasons not to do things. I think that it, the, to be, to misuse a term to be courageous enough to take on some risk and be like, we'll be good next year too, but we're going to do everything we can to make this year's team as good as it can be right now. I think that's something that I encourage. Right. And I don't think that, okay, maybe I'm going to sound like a bit of a like defender of the front office here, but I don't think that they're shying away from, doing that. Like I think last year when at the trade deadline and last year was a different year because you're um 60 games, but you know, they made a trade for Taiwan Walker who at that point was not the top starter on the market, but he was kind of in that maybe bottom top tier, like our middle tier, whatever it was. Right. And then, you know, Robbie Ray was actually not a good starter, but they obviously saw something in him, Mm -hmm. um, acquired him. And you can see the benefit of that now. And then Ross Stripling, they went out and got a starter um, who had some control and obviously they saw something in him as well. Um, And they traded for um, uh, Jonathan VR too, which was kind of a bad trade ultimately, because he kind of was having a better season and he came to the Blue Jays and wasn't very good. My point being that, we have seen the Blue Jays front office make deals. I mean, last year was like they didn't really have to make those deals last year. It was a 60-game season. It kind of didn't matter. Like it was going to be a season where there was going to be an asterisk on it. It was um, expanded playoffs. They were almost in a good spot to make the playoffs, I think, regardless. Like, I, mm-hmm. I can't even remember. Like they were in a good spot. They didn't have a lot of pitching, so they kind of needed arms just to like survive the last month of the season. But they could have like – gone through that trade deadline and not made all those moves, especially not one for Ross Stripling, for a guy of control. Like they could have just got the rentals or whatever. So I'm just saying that I think there's some history and you know what? Like it's, if we get to July and they don't do anything, I promise readers and everyone, I will condemn the front office and say that this is a missed opportunity for them, but I'm not ready in mid June to say, to start saying this front office isn't doing enough because I hear people saying they need to fix the bullpen. Totally understand it. It's just that this is not a time when teams are going to be trading. Like if you're the Seattle Mariners and you're 30, 38 and 36 or whatever you are, two games above 500, is that going to last? No, probably not. But, you know, what what does it say to that team if they're trading their best reliever like now? Like it's just, it's not going to happen. Like they've got to have, there's got to be more teams with more certainty of what they're going to do. Um, you've got to get further down closer to July and that's when the deals are going to happen. And could the Blue Jays like overpay for a reliever right now? Like maybe, but I don't even know. Like, I don't even know if a team would, ex- it would have to be a major overpay. Cause what if it, what is a team that who's a seller going to say, okay, we'll take these Blue Jays, um, 
we'll, we'll take what the Blue Jays are offering now because they might want to know, well, we want to know what the Yankees would offer in July and we want to know what the Red Sox would give us in, in July. And so like, you know, the Blue Jays are, are doing a few little things and we can get into John Axford <laughs> signing, which is kind of a, a fun little signing. And, and it is. yeah, I think, I think the Blue Jays, I think they need to, you know, I don't think Thomas Hatch is going to solve the bullpen issue, but he's in one extra arm. I think the Blue Jays need to abandon him as a starter right now, pull him up in the bullpen. I'm a little bit less sure, certain on Nate because I think you want to do right by him um, and and let him get more and more into a groove. But yes, the, the front office should be doing things, but I just don't think I can necessarily condemn them on June 21st as we're recording right now that they haven't done enough and aren't going to fix the bullpen because it's just too early to say. Did I condemn? I, I mean, I'm I'm happy to condemn them. I don't know that that's, that that is exactly what I did, but I think no, that, no, not you. I just mean I'm like the fans sure, and like sure. everyone that's like in my mentions and and saying like you know I they need be, to trade for a reliever. I will be the proxy for those for the sweaty un, unwashed <laughs> masses. But I think that you you make a good point. But also, you you can't do nothing when you have a significant gap in the team where you can say well be proud that you didn't overpay but if you continue to squander games throughout june because you were unable to address you know by one in through one way or another this failing in your team so suddenly you are not no longer in a, in a position to take advantage of all the things that right. that the, the the things that have lined up for this year and i think your point about last year's trade down is a good one i think they did a really good job last year because they were cruising into the bullpen, into the into the um, the playoffs. Like there didn't seem like there was going to be a lot of doubt that they were going to s- grab one of those last spots. Um, and they didn't mortgage the future, and they they made some some canny pickups, some things that have worked out in hindsight very very well. I think that this year the approach needs to be a little even again that much more aggressive and yeah. and be willing to go in and and and. And lose a trade and overpay because yeah. you might overpay in trade capital, but like, is it worth again, kind of squandering um, uh, a great season from your best player and from the guy you signed as a rental? And because the other side of that is like, okay, well, if you're not willing to like move those chips in, then trade Marcus Simeon, then trade Robbie Ray, like go the other way. Right. You, you have to, you have to kind of have that think about that balance and, and to just write out the string and be like, sure, our team isn't good enough, but it's too expensive to make it better. Well, then you got to make it worse and, and then continue to sell hope on the 2022, five, 2028, 2030 Blue Jays, um, that you'll eventually find that right situation where maybe the Yankees are vulnerable, maybe the Red Sox are vulnerable, maybe the Rays are, are have moved to Montreal, whatever it might be. So now's the time to go go for it. So right. you did mention something that they did do, of course, though they did sign John Axford to a yeah, minor to a league my, deal. My I guess he's going to go down to Florida and then uh, and then uh, presumably yeah. or how, hopefully if, if all things go well, he'll be able to make his way to the big league club, uh, pitching for Canada at the recent Olympic qualifying tournament, um, throwing hard. After doing some TV for Sportsnet and uh, John Axford, one of the all-time good guys, a uh, good Canadian, uh, Canadian guy as well, but realistically just like a great dude. And uh, I know that I am rooting for him. I have a good John Axford story. Oh? Well, it's like a little story. So there was, we were covering the team in 2018 when he was with the team, obviously. And this was like a period where, you know what, it was right before the trade deadline, I think, actually, um, of that year. And that was, so it was right after like Jay Happ had been traded and um, we were in Chicago and the Blue Jays were in a period where they were, they had like no starters. And mm-hmm. they were also in a period where like, they just kept kind of like rolling through relievers as like quote unquote openers. And I think it was, it was still Gibby then. And I think like Axford had like joked with him you know, at some point in the year, like, I want to start, I want to start. And so it was like, you know, a throwaway game in Chicago right before the deadline. And um, they let Axford start. So he was like, going to make, I believe it was his first major league start um, ever. Um, And, you know, he hadn't started since he was a minor league pitcher. Anyway, so, you know, 
on the day of his start, quote unquote start, um, we were like hanging out in the clubhouse and um, I think he had gone and he was still kind of a reliever. So he still had his like reliever routine. He wasn't quite like a starter who has their like locked in routine. But I remember John Axford walked by me and Mike, Mike Wilner. We were just hanging out and we kind of like, you know, nodded at him and like tried to say hello. And then John Axford just said to us, you can't talk to me today. I'm the starting pitcher because it's like a tradition that starters don't talk to reporters before their start. So he was like really, really loving, like just being like a starting pitcher for one day. Um, so that's my John X for story. That's I always re- like I always remember that. It's like the day that he started and I think he had a good start. I think it was like a scoreless first inning or whatever it was. Um, but uh, yeah, so yeah, happy to see him back. That's kind of it would certainly be a cool story if he makes it to the major leagues. And, um, you know, it's one of those things, like it's that cliche, like no minor league signing is bad signing or whatever mm-hmm. it is. And it's no like, such thing as a bad minor league deal. That's for sure. Yeah. And so he'll go to Florida and, you know, test, test out the arm at the player complex or whatever. And, you know, hopefully make his way to Buffalo. And then you know, if everything goes well in Buffalo and he's throwing hard and getting people out, I don't see any reason why he couldn't make it to the, the blue Jays. And I think, you know, one, one sort of like, side side edition of him is that it's interesting like the Blue Jays started out with a fairly veteran pitching staff and older pitching staff older bullpen and now like they're one of the younger bullpens one of the younger pitching staffs um Mm -hmm. because of sort of the additions and losing all the guys that they lost and so um having a guy like John Axford would probably be useful for the sort of like you know veteran wisdom that he could bestow upon that bullpen he is a very nice dude. He's a very he obviously he is um he and I like the same stuff. So it makes it easy for John Axford is like always listening to records on Instagram and he takes lots of nice photos and the story that I've told a million times is that I went to see Run the Jewels at the Danforth Music Hall in Toronto in 2014 and John Axford was there. And people were like tweeting at me, be like, yo, you're at that Run the Jewels show because I posted a photo and there was some, and I was like, yeah, somebody's like, John Axford is there too. So I ended up like running it, like not accidentally, me looking over like the tallest guy in the room and then be like, oh, look, there's a six foot seven guy who's clearly a professional athlete. And be like, hey, you John, right? And he's like, yeah, I'm like, I read for fan graphs. And he laughed and we chatted and stuff. And then I interviewed him a few years later. Uh, great dude. And, uh, yeah, throwing hard has never been the question. I think it would be great to see if if there are so if he can continue to get people out. Which I know he, I don't know if he got hit hard, but he he posted about giving up the sort of the hit that kind of knocked Canada out. And you know, throwing hard is one thing, but um, but if he can get people out, that's great. And again, a good story, someone who could bring some leadership, bring some bring some good vibes to uh, augment the ongoing good vibe, the fountain of good vibes that is Teoscar Hernandez, who <laughs> is the uh, the vibes coordinator in chief um speaking of good vibes hmm, did you say something i was gonna say teoscar came back and the vibes are back on the blue the vibes were bad he was on paternity leave congratulations to he and his family uh but the vibes were like in the toilet until teoscar came back (laughs) big smiles big feels and uh and the w's returned so that's the x factor with these blue jays is teoscar's vibes somebody was sharing today uh, kevin goldstein and speaking about frank fangraphs again kevin goldstein of fangraphs was has Posted, done his chats and talked multiple times about like because he was when he was with the Astros and Teoscar was the Astros mm-hmm. was like he's like genuinely the nicest guy like in the in the game and he's so excited for Teoscar's success and it's like yeah the vibes man he brings the vibes in a big way and he can hit he's like having another great year good for him Teoscar Hernandez yes. more spin rate coming up right after these words from our sponsors and now two pigeons bemoaning the fact you can stream direct tv satellite free direct tv gives you access to apps like netflix and live sports right next to each other i don't get it let me put it in pigeon terms it's like that one amazing dumpster with the old fruits and cardboard all in one place how am i supposed to keep up with illustrative metaphors when you are making me so hungry get live tv and streaming apps together without a satellite visit directtv.com requires high-speed internet connected gemini device and separate paid subscription to watch netflix on direct tv terms and restrictions apply It appears that George Springer's return is incredibly imminent. Um, yeah. He's done uh, some rehab stints there with the Buffalo Bison slash Trenton Thunder. One was cut short by weather, mm-hmm. not injury, mm-hmm. but doing lots of running, playing the field, doing it all. Um, it, the expectation is, and we, maybe by the time folks hear this, it'll already happen, but that he will or should join the team on Tuesday night. Oh, that would be 
That would be ideal for me, just waiting for this Springer's back so we can just have him back. Um, but yeah, no, he should be in the lineup. If it's not Tuesday, then it, I would assume it's Wednesday, but I don't see why it wouldn't be Tuesday. Because he's George Springer, and this whole saga has been exactly that. Well, maybe it'll be Wednesday. Well, That's what I mean. the moon, Jupiter is in, is in the third house. Man, I don't know if we can bring him back on this day. I don't know anything about astrology. God, like that's why I mean, I'm just like, well, I don't know if there's an art. He doesn't like Tuesdays or Tuesdays, you know. He it's George Garfield Springer. He's got a bad case of the Mondays. (laughs) Um, To bring it back to the 2015 Blue Jays again, I think it's important Mm -hmm. to remember the 2015 Blue Jays scored a ton of runs, and then they made a trade at the trade deadline for Troy Tulowitzki, and then the team proceeded to score like infinite amounts of runs to the point of, again, as we've said, talked about a million times is like, they were like an unkillable, unstoppable juggernaut and as good a team as you'll ever see. And they scored so many runs because when you continue to add hitters to a lineup that already is full of hitters, it is not like it it is a, it is a, an exponential curve in terms of the potential to score runs. And, the best part about George Springer coming is on top of the fact that the Blue Jays are adding a very good player who has good vibes. Well, maybe not good vibes. Who seems to have good dugout vibes. I think he has good vibes. Big big picture karma vibes. Maybe not so great (laughs) with the Astros stink. But taking at-bats away from someone who's not as good as George Springer. Be that that, uh, Rowdy Tellez. Be that Joe Panic, Be that Santiago Espinal. Mm-hmm. Even if it's a, the odd uh, Kevin Biggio start, and Kevin Biggio is up over a league average uh, at this point, which is I, I have a, still have a lot of opinions, but I'm just trying to like take it in. I'm trying to be fair to Kevin Biggio, but his style of production is just so. But anyway, Springer. Do you, have, do you have any thoughts about where he might hit in the lineup? Did Charlie Montoyo did the Charlie Montoyo thing and said something that was like, <laughs> I just kept scratching my head like, really? But I don't know. But, it's the thing. It's going to be the discourse for the week. Yeah. Well, let me set it up because it was like the availability after the game on Sunday and we had asked all like the game questions. And then I think it was Shai Davidi of Sportsnet who um, just asked Charlie like finally like, you know, I'm not going to ask you where you're going to hit Springer, but tell me, is there any part of the lineup that you really like right now that you, you know, you don't want to mess with? And kind of predictably, Charlie, you know, said he liked his top four, obviously, and good reason for that. Like they have been a really good hitting, um, you know, top four, like Marcus Simeon's been the best player or one of the best, um, like leadoff hitters, um, for the last two months. And, uh, Bo's hitting really well behind him and um, Vlad's Vlad. And as we said, Teoscar Hernandez is having a great year. And so Charlie kind of indicated like maybe you could ease George Springer in and, and bat him maybe fifth or sixth behind those four. And then over time, George Springer is going to work his himself up to the leadoff spot where he belongs was essentially what Charlie said. I think you could also simply just put George Springer as a leadoff guy where he belongs right now. And I don't think Semyon's going to stop hitting if he's batting second or fifth or wherever you put him. I mean, I don't know if you have an idea. I've seen – I so I put a poll up on Twitter because um, after, after I tweeted that Charlie quote, a lot of people were like, you know, had opinions on it. So I put up a, a poll, which I hardly ever do. Let me pull it up. Mm-hmm. Um, or do you have it pulled up? Or no, I could though. I, I yeah. Sorry, this is not good. <laughs> this is great radio. <laughs> well, uh, let me ask you that. As you look it up, okay. What What is your oh, thinking okay. behind who should hit where? Like, what is what is it that you, that is your thought process when you're thinking? If I was filling out the lineup card, this is where what would guide my understanding of where individual Blue Jays would fit in that mix? Um, you know what? I'm not necessarily a person that spends a lot of time thinking about lineup construction, to be honest with you. Like mm. I, 
It's not the type of stuff I like to write about. It's not the type of stories I would do. The only reason I've thought about it more than more than I um, would normally is just because I haven't been around the team and doing other stories. Um, and maybe there's thought to it because they acquired George Springer. But anyway, I'm, I mean, I've read, um, gosh, now I'm going to forget it. But I know that there's like sort of um, literature, <laughs> baseball literature out there that, that has a sort of, has the how you optimize your lineup Mm -hmm. and i think it's you want to have your best four hitters in the top four spots and it's what like you want is it you want your best hitter batting second or there's i don't know now you're now i don't want to pull it up but so basically you want your best hitter hitters in hitting one two and then your best hitter with power hitting fourth yes okay Right, because it's it's realistically it's about trying to optimize the opportunities to score runs. So if you so if you put your best hitter leading off, you have the best chance of then having a or like your especially your best on on base percentage, which is which has sort of been or become the vogue move for a few years. I mean, you don't even have to think back to that long ago when Charlie Mont or uh, you know with John Gibbons. You know, there were times where Josh Donaldson hit leadoff for the Blue Jays. There were times where Jose Bautista hit leadoff for the Blue Jays. Those are not prototypical leadoff hitters, but the game has changed a little bit. So right now, if you look at the league, all of the all of all of Major League Baseball, the splits by um, by position or by batting order position. So the number one spot in terms of production is the three spot. So the third spot right now is the is the number one spot in terms of production, and then leadoff, and then second. And then fourth, which I find to be interesting, but I also find so this is I, this is something I was thinking about doing for my my newsletter. But I'll we'll do it here. The reason that number three spot is so high is because Vladimir Guerrero Jr. hits number three. <laughs> yeah. I really believe that he is dragging the entire league's numbers up single handedly because he's so much ahead of every hitter imaginable. But I mean, if, when you start thinking about other teams. You know, the, and some of the other best players in the game, right? right? Ronald Acuna Jr. hits leadoff, and and he is the kind of prototypical leadoff hitter now, guy who who draws his walks, who can run, but also is like an, a phenomenal power hitter. Um, so that's where Springer's hit in bef- uh, in 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 the past. So the other part of that is is when it comes to the number three spot. The number three spot is tricky because often the number three hitter in the lineup will come up with two outs and nobody on, right? If, especially if, if you're coming up in the first inning. So if that, who is that guy? So someone who maybe has a bit more like kind of quick strike potential, somebody who's not necessarily, you know, is, is able to of starting or being a rally unto themselves. So that's when I think about it. I think Bo Bichette is the ideal number three hitter for the Blue Jays. So in my mind, I think, okay, so if, say, let's, you can do Springer first. You can do Simeon second, you can do Bichette third, then you can do Vlad fourth. But then I start to think, and I'm like, man, I really, if I'm the Blue Jays, I want to get Vlad as many chances to hit. I want him to hit in the first inning. So then I go back and forth. So maybe maybe Springer fourth, Simeon first, Vlad second, and then Bo Bichette can hit third. Because whoever hits after Vlad gets to hit with people on base the most. Yeah. I think, like, but the thing is, like, the... Vlad and Teoscar work really well together too. I mean, not that like Teoscar would be fine in the five spot. Well, I think the other thing is anyone would be fine hitting after Vlad. The thing, the thing you want to think about, the thing that I, sorry, I, I don't need to tell you what you need to think about. You think all of the things on your own. What I think about is I want as many people on base when Vlad comes up to pl- the plate as possible. And, and what is it that's going to, produce that outcome and Bo Bichette is good at a lot of things getting on base isn't the thing that he's the best at he's a great hitter he's a true hitter which is why maybe I want him hitting when there are guys on base because if there are guys on base and then Bo Bichette is able to hit he's he's going to put the ball in play he's good he's more likely I think to then drive in those runs as opposed to the guy who's more setting the table, so to speak, for Vladimir Guerrero Jr. What if you did? I see what you're saying because I was going to say, what if you did Springer, Vlad, Bo, Teoscar, then Semyon fifth? Yeah, uh, the, I don't. Th- 
I guess it, it, it really comes down to who do I'm just, you... I'm just saying that because then you get, at least you get Vlad in the first inning. No, which is, which is fair. And I think it, ultimately the question is, who do you think is a better hitter on balance? Marcus Simeon or Teoscar Hernandez? They're just, yeah, it's like interesting because they're kind of different. Although now that I think about it, they're not that different. I mean, mm-hmm. um, they both hit for power. They're not... Either neither of them are walking a ton. I mean, Semyon more than Teoscar. Um, they strike out a little. Yeah, they're kind of similar hitters, honestly. Like, so that's that's sort of ultimately the question, I guess, is who you know if you're Charlie Montoya. So we've we've provided our answers, but it's like who do you want hitting? Uh, who do you want to get to try to get on base ahead of Vlad? And then who do you want to hit after Vlad, who now has that advantage of having someone on base 45% of the time? Right? Whoever comes after Vlad has got someone on base 45% of the time. There's no other, nobody else in the game offers that opportunity. So you need to make sure that whoever it is you want you have coming after Vlad is someone who can take advantage of that. Take advantage of it by continuing the inning, could, t- could take advantage of it by hitting the ball over the fence, or in Bobachet's case, you know, t- hitting the ball over the fence or just hitting the ball somewhere. Right? So, so yeah. So so it's it's there's no real wrong a- answer. It's a fun thing to kind of kick around a little bit. I think like I like this because it's this is like a real kind of barroom sort of just It's like a puzzle. But and, and 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 there's no wrong answer, right? And everybody has their own philosophy. Is there? Is Charlie's answer the wrong answer? Almost for sure, but for all <laughs> for different kinds of reasons. Which is that that because Charlie has to figure out the human aspect of it, which is yes. real. That I can sit here all, all day long and say that it doesn't matter. But if Marcus Simeon doesn't want to hit fifth, he doesn't want to hit fifth, and if that affects his his performance, well, that doesn't mean it, it shouldn't affect his performance. He is a professional and his skill is what his skill is and his talent is, is undeniable but if he's unable to reach his full potential when he's hitting fifth because he doesn't like it because he'd rather get up in the first inning he's used to getting that first at bat out of the way that's that's a real thing it's an unfortunate mm-hmm. thing i think but but i think that that's something of like the sort of ghoulish baseball stats world 2.0 like late 90s early 2000s view that that shoved all that stuff aside i think it could have missed it you know, it, it missed out on something. That said, like these guys should be able to be who they are, no matter where they hit. And it's just really about presenting opportunities to the right guys, and then having the right players being able to take, take advantage of those opportunities. And all that said, I also think I love uh, Kevin Biggio as a number nine hitter in in a, in, a, in a fully optimized, like full blown Blue Jays lineup is exactly as it needs to be. Kevin Biggio, who again I have a lot of mixed feelings about, but if he's doing what he's doing now, him hitting ninth is ideal. Because then there's somebody on base relatively often when the good hitters come up behind him while he's also not the kind of guy who's then asked to drive the ball a lot because if he's hitting after the catcher, he's hitting with one out and nobody on. Okay, so let me say what my poll results were and then I'll say what I think is going to happen. Before I, I, I looked at the, I pulled these poll results up before yes. you read. You I know because I saw your eyes and they like were like, you made a face. Insane. Which I, I see why. <laughs> Insane. Okay. Caitlin's going to reveal the poll results now. Okay. So I um, asked, asked Twitter world, I got more than 900 votes. Um, 51% of people said he should, George Springer should bat first. 14% of people said he should bat second or third. 7% of people said he should bat fourth. 28% of people said he should bat in the five to nine spot, which... <laughs> I mean, at least more than 50% said first. I think 28%, five to nine is a little too high for me. I think people were, but I also see where people, see, this is the segment of people that just, and I don't blame them, that are just kind of like Charlie, don't want to mess with the top four. Like, I get it. Mm -hmm. What I think is going to happen is that I, I I won't be shocked if George Springer's bats fifth in his first game, just because mm-hmm. pretty often Charlie, sometimes when he says something to us or sort of like hints that he could be thinking something, quite often that's what he was thinking. Um, and so, but I what I think will happen is that George Springer will very very soon after go to the leadoff spot because that's what he's going to do. And I think everyone will just move down one. Like I think you'll see Springer, Semyon, maybe you could flip Bo and, and 
Well, you don't really want both hitting fourth. So, but I, so that's what I think. I think you would just. Move, I think everyone just moves down one. The worst. The worst of both worlds. I think is what he's going to do. Uh, I, I get why that why those poll results showed up the way that they did. Number one, because Charlie kind of already primed the pump, saying that he's going to hit fifth. But there are those folks who are like, you don't want to mess with those three guys. Like, my question to that is always like, do you really think? that it matters where Vlad Guerrero Jr. hits in the lineup? Like, do you think his performance is tied to hitting third? I do not. He is such a good hitter. He could hit ninth. He could hit Q. It doesn't matter. Whenever he comes to the plate, he's going to rake. So build your lineup to optimize. And I, I, I think you just need to build it around that. I think that this whole segment started with that same that same piece. How can you optimize scoring? And when you have a man, the the, the one hitter who is a self-optimized scoring run scoring opportunity, you just build it all around that. And all that said, I don't. All this stuff is is um, is pretty minor, right? As long as you're not doing anything egregious and and giving you know doing really dumb stuff like, well, we got to hit Joe Panic second. And, and, and that was, you know, Dow Steve always has a joke about some manager like second baseman hits second, second baseman hits second, they hit left. And that's just what they do. Like that kind of shit's kind of gone out the window. But I think you think back to, again, we'll talk about 2015 Blue Jays again, where they, they just kind of cobbled that lineup together and they, they put Troy Tulowitzki in fifth and he sort of moved down, down a little bit, uh, through, uh, through the season as it was obvious that he's wasn't the hitter that he used to be. But, they just sort of like just front load it all. Like Donaldson, Batista, Encarnacion. Good luck, everybody else. And it worked. So mm-hmm. we'll see. I think yeah. we should wrap it up. We've been going on and on and um, on and on. Yeah, I've got nothing else to say. You've always got more to say. And the people can read what you have to say as opposed to listen to what you have to say um, on The Athletic this week. I'm sure you've got lots of delightful features awaiting us. Game day mm-hmm. stories. Yeah, I have um we'll have a bit of a trade deadline primer coming up. And um yeah, the hopeful George Springer return. And and I'm gonna take three days off this week, everyone. Nice. Three days off. Congratulations. I'm off all of next week from my oh. regular job. But I will still be doing this, presumably. Well, um, I, will, I will still be here next Sunday. <laughs> right. I look forward to you writing that column. I have decided. So last week I said Andrew Miller. Um, I looked at the wrong page. He's not good anymore, unfortunately, which just means you can get him for cheap. <laughs> but the one thing that I've decided that the Blue Jays must do, and I've tweeted about this in the past, is that the Blue Jays must at this point, must, must acquire Joey Gallo. I knew you were going to say that. I'll pay with any price. E- with Ian Kennedy? Yeah. Package deal? Whatever they want. I, I, I've made this joke a hundred times. I don't give a good goddamn. And Kyle Gibson, hmm? maybe? And Kyle Gibson, too? And then push your luck. <laughs> I think that might, that might get pricey. Yeah. But if it's just Gallo and Ian Kennedy, just start throwing names of guys who were born in Texas at the Rangers until they just can't say no. Kloffenstein, oh. uh, there's some other ones. Van Eyck, isn't he from Texas? Groshans is. I don't think they're going to give him them. Mm, I'm a little. I'm lukewarm. But but who am I? Who am I? Tell. Twenty five minutes ago, Drew Groshans. Off you go. See you later. <laughs> You've been surpassed. Kevin Smith, are you from Texas? Get on the plane. Just start loading up because I want Joey Gallo and I want Ian Kennedy and I want him in a bad way. Joey Gallo is terrifying. I'm excited. Where would Joey Gallo hit in the wherever the lineup? fuck he wants. <laughs> Uh, Joey Gallo was like the ultimate three true outcome guy. So you could maybe hit him like fifth or sixth or fourth. He strikes out too much to hit fourth, but he strikes out a lot. But he walks an absurd amount, and he hits the ball as hard as anybody in the world. Ooh, Joey Gallo, free him up. Caitlin, thank you so much. I really appreciate these chats, Monday or Sunday, whenever it is we do it. Uh, I hope you had as good a time as I did. Of course, always. Always. Her name is Caitlin McGrath. My name is Drew Ferris. Thank you so much for listening. We'll talk to you next time on Spinner.